This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Most customers don't want to answer their phones. How are retailers supposed to stay connected? Avoiding spam filters and email and even phone calls requires more time than anyone has time for. So how do local businesses break through when the phones stop ringing? The answer is to use mobile phones differently by driving sales and appointments through text messaging. Join host of Retail Retold, Chris Ressa, with marketing and CX expert Jay Bayer and Cam Hale from Podium on January 7th to learn how you can drive retail sales with text messaging. Sign up today at bit.ly backslash Podium Retail to learn how to create your most effective customer messaging strategy yet. That's bit.ly backslash Podium Retail to join us on January 7th. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I am joined by Edgar Blazona. He is the founder and president of Benchmade Modern. I'm excited for him to be here. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. All right, Edgar, tell us a little bit about who you are and what your business is. Oh, man, Um, who I am. I'm Edgar Blazona. Uh, I am the founder and president of Benchmade Modern. We are a uh, direct-to-consumer custom upholstery brand. Um, our whole thing is all about speed, uh, all about you know giving the customer choice, um, you know some transparency thrown in there. Um, you know a lot of those big direct-to-consumer buzzwords that you're hearing these days. Um, but we tried to take a industry that was, you know, frankly a mess. Uh, you know, in regards to, you know, the transparency aspect and, you know, oh, I'll sell you this sofa, but you can't have it for, you know, 10 years, it seemed like, and, and so on. So trying to, trying to break through to um, that customer in a different way. Got it. And today, all your sales are done online direct to consumer? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, we are... Um, you know, obviously marketing to the entire country, um, shipping from two different sides of the coast and so on. But yeah, all of it is done directly to the consumer uh, through the website, Benchmade Modern. Okay. We'll talk about wholesale and stores and a whole bunch of other things later. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, how did this come to be, Benchmade Modern? And when did it start? And give us a little bit of the story. Yeah, yeah, I can step back even a little farther than that. You know, I I uh, I dropped out of high school. Um, I, I grew up in San Francisco. Um, you know, I was a kind of a, a punk ass kid, a graffiti artist, a skateboarder. Um, wow. You know, thought I knew everything, um, but I knew that I was passionate about design and art, and um, and school really just wasn't cutting it. I was going to school of the arts uh, high school uh, in San Francisco, which was like fame. I don't know if you remember that that TV show back in the day, um, but it was um, it, it still wasn't enough for me. Uh, so I left high school and I started a, a small furniture company. You know, I was I was you know I learned how to weld. You know, by myself, literally, like you know, oh shit! I hope I don't like. <laughs> and what time like, period are we in right now? Give me give me reference point. Like, 
This is in the uh, mid nineties. Okay. Um, you know, and so I'm like, I got this janky welder and I'm touching these two things together. Oh God, I hope I don't die. You know, <laughs> as I try to figure out how to weld, there's no YouTube teaching you how to weld back in the day, you know? Right. And so, uh, and so I started making furniture and, and, and I, I started selling it on the side of the road. You know, I would set up, you know, out in front of the bar. And I would set up my little side tables and coffee tables. And I'd be out there hawking my goods, you know, right on the on a busy San Francisco street. And uh, and then I and then I was doing like flea markets and, and all that. And I got noticed by a, a, a dealer here in San Francisco and and it kind of changed the tide. You know, I I sold my first piece in a gallery and it was like, wow, four hundred dollars. You know, I was rich, you know, right. I was like. Damn, you know, and and so I knew then that 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 was it. And so I've been doing furniture ever since. And after a stint at, you know, learning through Pottery Barn, that became my my, uh, you know, I closed my business down and went to work for Pottery Barn. That became my 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 furniture college, basically. And I spent all my time there poking at problems uh, just so I could go overseas to fix those problems. And so that that put me in the factories. What and what and, was your role at Pottery Barn? I was a technical designer at the time. Um, you know, I took the first job I could get in there and then I moved my way up into, uh, into a designer. Um, but I really spent most of my time, you know, on the design meets um, development meets fixing problems. And because I actually knew how to, you know, work saws and stuff, I'd, I'd head overseas and, you know, push wood through the saw for these guys and show them like, here's the distressing we need. And this is back in like the pottery barn heyday. And so it was, it was quite a fun time to be there and it became my college. And then I moved from there. Um, I moved and I started designing stuff for like Walmarts and targets and, you know, had some pieces in there and was doing the more mass thing, kind of knocking off what we did at pottery barn. And at that point, this is kind of the roundabout way, getting back to your question, at that point, I started a brand called True Modern, and it was a wholesale brand um, selling to retailers across the country, um, and it had a website as well. Um, and it was one of the first furniture retailers to start to sell direct to consumer. And so that kind of opened up my eyes, and um, that was about in 2007, um, uh, that I, that my eyes were opened, I should say, I probably started in like 2004, but in about seven, I realized that you could maybe sell direct to the, to the customer. And so we, um, we started doing sofas, um, kind of in a, in a bad economy. And we realized that, that all this modern kids furniture that I sold was sitting in warehouses across the country wholesale, but these sofas were basically made to order. And I could sell them kind of on demand. And so I started selling them through my True Modern site on demand. And all of a sudden I realized I don't want to have inventory anymore, right? I don't want to wholesale to these retailers. I want to, I want to go direct. And so early on, we, we kind of were, were at least one of the first furniture direct consumers. And, and we took that and I didn't want to, I didn't want to hurt my wholesalers. You know, you, you're, you come from the, from the brick and mortar retailer world where they, where they have tons of, you know, wholesalers. And I didn't want to damage those relationships. So I started a new brand, Benchmade Modern, and kind of did that as a direct-to-consumer brand and, and uh, raised some capital here in, in, in the Bay Area 
you know, there's all this, this capital taking place for, um, for, you know, online businesses and tech companies and all that. And I thought, well, why not? And so, you know, after some, some hard meetings with, and a lot of no's, you know, I got a few yeses and then that turned into more and, and, um, you know, that's kind of where, where we've, we've grown from for sure. So a couple of things. One, there were some other direct to consumer furniture brands though, right? Isn't Pottery Barn one in itself? Yeah, you could argue that. Right. Isn't that what they are? Um, yeah, you could argue that. I mean, you know, that, that those brands. Restoration um, hardware, right? Yeah, but I guess there's a there's a difference. So, and and this is good you brought this up because I'd love to argue this out. I this is, comes up often actually because and I've been on the other side of the fence saying, you know, I went to work for Gary at RH for a while, you know, in the in the middle of all this. So I've I've definitely you know battled from both sides. Um, there there's a difference in what is called direct consumer, right? Versus what it actually is. Direct-to-consumer is really just a, a term for a new brand that has been launched on the internet, you know, that is, you know, coming up, that is doing things a little differently, that is a little more scrappy, um, you know, that, that, that is pushing the envelope, a changing of the guard, as I like to call it. Whereas, like, say, a Pottery Barn or even a Target, you know, Target was was, you know, buying product from factories and, and selling it directly to the consumer. So, so I, I think that there's a little bit of a misconception of what that term means and what its direct translation could be. Sure. Aren't we really talking about, like, I think it's tough to say that American Eagle, who makes their own products and sells it directly to the consumer, is not direct consumer. They might not be the new up-and-coming internet yeah, but brand. American Eagle, but American Eagle, and, and, and forgive me, but American Eagle just figured out what the internet was, you know, to an extent. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm way over overstating that, but, but I think that, that, you know, American Eagle, or I don't even know American Eagle, let's just take a retailer, you know. A, Apple. In general. Apple. But, no, just retailers, brick-and-mortar retailers in general struggled with how do we sell online how do we sell on the street, right? Omni retailing. How do we, you know, that, that was their term, right? And for they had to have that term. For sure. But my point is, my point is, there before, before the direct-to-consumer, like the internet piece, yeah. they tried to make going direct-to-consumer this new thing. But my, sure. my point is, as you said, Pottery Barn, Nike, Apple, American Eagle, the list goes on. We're making products yeah. and selling direct to consumer and not third party wholesaling them to other retailers, whether it's Amazon or someone else for eons, right? Yeah. Before, right? They've well, been doing is, that for eons. And then, and then we said this is direct to consumer because they had a website. Now they're direct to consumer and they go directly to the. Yeah, but, but maybe you could use the caveat of, of direct to consumer without a retail presence, without a, a brick and mortar presence, right? That's the difference. The, the, the direct consumers that are coming up have decided that we don't need a store. Now, 
No, 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 no it's changing. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I can, I can feel you because I know because <laughs> we're actually all changing our mind on that, right? Yes. And so the worlds are starting to collide. And so that's what I meant when I said that, that you know, the quote-unquote direct consumer that we all know today, minus the pottery barns and, and you know, the big, big brands like that, but these native um, uh, digitally native uh, brands digitally native brands are really what we're calling DTCs right right and and yes we're all shifting because what we're realizing and and maybe what we're doing differently is we're actually taking our marketing budgets right we're taking our marketing budgets and opening up a retail store and that's that's the difference, right? That's the difference. That's exactly right. That's the customer. You said marketing. Everyone likes to use this fancy word called customer acquisition costs. Uh, so let's stay on this for a second because uh, you, you look at some of the direct-to-consumer brands. We, we look at, you know, Warby Parker just, just, you know, went public or decided to go public. And so their financials got shared and their customer acquisition costs are in the, you know, start with a four and, yeah, too. and yours too. So your customer acquisition costs are in the 40% range. Oh, you're talking percentage I'm of talking revenue. Dollars. Um, no. Um, what percentage of revenue are your customer acquisition costs? Gosh, I don't know if I really want to share that, but what I can tell you is that, you know, my, how about this? How about this? Is it, is it North or South of 25%? it's it's about okay so it's, here, not quite. It's, it's not quite but but it's it's very expensive and i and i think so when you look at it in in this way so you look if at you it, looked at real quick if you looked at some of the major retailers in the world who are prim, primarily brick and mortar yeah they, their occupancy cost or their rent and marketing combined yes don't equal that <laughs> yes. Two things have happened, right? And 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 this this is coming off of a of a, a time right now. You know, we're we are we're just um coming off of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, right? This is our biggest our biggest time of the year, right? Black Friday has become an online guy's biggest time of the year. It's this weekend, really. It's kind of you know, yeah, all yeah. switching. Our um our uh advertising costs have doubled since last year, right? In in Ooh. an expensive time, right? So this this weekend and leading up to this weekend, you know, advertising costs in general are already high compared to the rest of the year, but they've doubled since last year. So but I think you know you and I have talked about this in the past. What a it, as us DTCers move our marketing budget into retail, into brick and mortar, it it's a scary endeavor, right? Because let's just think about like where do these direct consumer guys come from, right? They don't come from retail. They come from, you know, they they launch these businesses, they want to solve a problem. <laughs> and now you're telling me I gotta open a store. I gotta come on the other side of the computer and <laughs> open a brick and mortar store, you know? You know, and have people opening the door. Hello, and thanks for coming to Benchmade Modern. How can I help? You know, all of those things. It's so foreign to us. We don't even know how to put it on the but, PL. But, why, but, like, but Edgar, 
But Edgar, to you, how could it be foreign? You worked at Pottery Barn, Restoration Hardware. foreign <laughs> to me. I'm saying I have worked at most of the major retailers, so I get it. But the majority of direct consumers these days do not come from, you know, from a retail background, frankly, right? They come into it as tech. Right. So there is a, it's a pure tech play. So when you start talking about square footage and, you know, dollar revenue per square footage and all that, that's like, you know, way <laughs> over their head. And so, and, but, but the table is starting to turn. And I think there's a difference too, this starting to turn, whether for better or for worse, you'll probably laugh when I say this. We think about opening these, I, I, I'm laughing as I'm saying it. We think about these the opening these brick and mortars as a, as a neutral, uh, it, it, it doesn't have to make money, right? It, you don't have to make a dollar because my marketing budget is opening up that store, right? And so, so I don't actually have to take a sale in this store. I'm going to use it as an advertising vehicle. And I don't know if, you know, if, if that will last, you know, because when you turn into a real business, you know, and you get real people running the show, you know, you're going to want, those guys are going to want to make revenue at those stores. So, so that's, let's stay there for a second. Cause here's some, here, here's something I've been talking about. Michael Praiseman, the CEO of Everlane, Uh a DTC brand. Yep. He, in like the mid two thousands, he got on TV and said, he's never going to open up a brick and mortar store. And then 2018, he ended up on, Jim Cramer, Mad Money, and Jim Cramer's like, why are you open up stores? And he says, what online retailer actually makes money? Online only retailer actually makes money. Yeah. And yeah. Jim Cramer like looks at him and he goes, virtually none of them. That's the dirty little secret. And so yeah. my, my contention is that the stores actually are just the opposite. In general, they're more profitable. If you look at Warby Parker's numbers and you look at the profitability in the stores versus e-commerce. I think it's, I think it'll open a lot of people's eyes. I think the the myth is the cost of entry for brick and mortar to open up a store, right? You know, Edgar and and Chris could open up Edgar and Chris's t-shirt shop and, you know, online. And that's pretty, that's a lot less costly than opening up a store. But the, the reality is when you talk about customer acquisition costs and reverse logistics, you sell fancy furniture. When, when my wife wants to return something, how's that make you feel? Well, that's, that's <laughs> tough. I mean, we, can, we can talk about that. But, the, the, you know, going back to the Everlane thing, you know, he, he opened up a store right next to me on Valencia Street, right? He spent a ton of money opening up this, this little shop. You know, we both basically bet on the ghetto. Uh, and I, I think both of us, you know, um, took a loss there, I would imagine. But the, the stores have, the stores bring a bit of legitimacy, right? Now, you That's could argue true. Though, that there's, there's a little bit of pre-COVID happening as well in this scenario. And I wonder how that's going to change things, right? You know, it's driven a lot more people to me, an online-only sofa retailer that goes back to your wife. Now, would your wife ever buy a sofa online? That's a huge hurdle for me, right? Yeah, that's I a different business. So, I have to do so many of these things to make, you know, someone like your wife comfortable with the purchase, Right. And then the return, right? So 
you know, and believe me, you know, returning a sectional across the country is not an easy feat, right? Um, and it's certainly not cheap. And so I think, but, but then step back into the retail world, into the brick and mortar side, right? So what am I going to do? I'm going to have this shop. I'm going to have her come down and, and return her custom sofa to the shop. I mean, it's still a hassle, right? It's still, it's still a tough thing for me. And, and being a furniture guy, you know, my game is how, you know, I think the real disruptor right now um, is the retailers that are doing things a little bit differently, you know, in the malls or in the, in the, in the um, brick and mortar main street locations, right? They're taking, especially in the furniture world, you know, we, we are an industry that used to be in, you know, 10,000 square foot plus, you know, uh, buildings, um, you know, 20,000, you know, that sort of thing. That's a lot of inventory to have on the floor, you know, and so on. So how does a retailer, how does a brand, a furniture brand, you know, condense all that, make it into a great shopping experience and putting it into a mall or a main street location? I think that's the trick these days, you know, and, and, you know, the, the, my numbers and Warby's numbers are very different, you know, <laughs> sure, they're, you're selling, in... they're selling glasses, right? Yeah. You know, I've got big, big, you know, expensive stuff. Yeah, so your margins are different, clearly, right? Yeah. But but let me ask you a question. You know, you're in the DTC sphere. All these brands that are not profitable, right? Because Simeon Siegel, actually, from BMO Advisors, he put out a report on he analyzed a bunch of public companies who mm-hmm. sell their, their brands that sell both DTC and wholesale yeah. and cutting out the middleman and going DTC. Yeah. Majority of the brands made more money on the wholesale than they did on DTC. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So- you know, who talks about that is um, uh, the founder of Bonobos. Um, I forget his name strikes me off offhand, but, he, he talks a bit about the deal that he made with Nordstrom's um, and put Bonobos in Nordstrom's. Yeah. And that was a true groundbreaker, uh, you know, uh, at the time. And he said there was so much value in that deal, um, you know, to put it into to a, um, a big box like that, that could that could move that kind of volume and have that sort of reach built in customer reach. I think that there's a, you know, what, what I think that we're missing here, and, and you, you talk about a bit about these, cust- these companies not being profitable um, and them being direct consumer, and we kind of started this interview off with, with that. Yeah. You know, the truth of the matter is, is none of those guys are direct consumer, right? They're not actually owned by the factory that's actually producing the goods, hmm. right? So I think there's a differentiator there in the sense that you know, we are a factory, right? And when I, and when I built Benchmade Modern from the beginning, um, we built a factory. So we're actually, we're not trying to cut the middleman because we are the middleman to begin with, right? So, hmm. so our margins might look a little different when we, when we run it straight from the factory side all the way through to the retail side. Whereas an Everlane, a Warby, a Bonobos, they're not manufacturing their own jeans. They're buying from a factory 
and then basically selling them a lot like a restoration hardware, a crate and barrel, a pottery barn, and so on. Because most of those guys do not own their own factories. Got it. So that's fascinating. Well, let's go to it. Yeah. When are you going to get a store? <laughs> well, that's something we're talking about, right? You yeah. know, and, and it's, it's such a big hurdle, you know, um, from a, uh, you know, staffing it. When, when, um, when you really, when you're past talking about it and you're ready to go, you and I need to sit down in person and we'll talk through some strategy around it. Well, I'd love to. It, it, it's, it's, it's definitely on our list of things. Honestly, it's, it's on our list of things to do. And frankly, it was on my list of things to do as of last year. And then COVID came around and, and kind of slowed that, that down. Yeah. It, it feels like such a hurdle um, in the sense that, you know, store managers and I think the personnel side really seems challenging. I, I would love to know like how, you know, you just need the locational to, stuff. You need to, you need to do what you did on the, the e-commerce side, which is you just, you're going to, you outsourced everything else. You can right on, on the, you, 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 you run pretty lean and mean for the size company yeah. you are. Yeah. You, what you need to do here is you need to, it's about, it's about the key person who's going to run the store for you. And then they yeah. have to worry about all that stuff. And you don't, yeah. you need Do some, have that? Is, is there that, where is the, <laughs> where is the direct to consumer? I mean, I know it's out there. I hear you mall guys talking about that, right? <laughs> like we're going to, but I don't fit in because I don't sell watches or I don't sell shirts or, or I don't, you know, uh, I, I, you so, know, this, so let, let's back up. We'll, we'll get there. You and I offline, we're going to do a lot okay. more discussion yeah, about yeah, this. Cause yeah. I think I can help here. Okay. On the on the business side, let's talk more a little bit. Forget about the channel you're selling, just the the business in in general. Yep. Home category on fire. Yes, it is. Is it is it's it is is it still amazing. still? We're seeing a dip. Okay. Um, you know, uh, we are definitely seeing a dip. We're seeing a slow a slowing. Like, doesn't um, everyone think- who bought like everyone bought all these couches and furniture? Like, is there like? Is there like less couches needed now? <laughs> there are. Uh, yeah, there are. Um, well, I don't know if there's less sofas, might I call them. <laughs> okay. So uh, I don't know if there's less sofas needed uh, out, out here or not, but I think that there is a different demand for them. You know, COVID created just one hell of a whirlwind from, from a um, – you know, uh, a sourcing and material standpoint, you know, we, we got hit with the perfect storm. Most people don't realize this, but foam was our issue, right? The foam that goes in the sofa and it wasn't in for the sofa industry. It's everything. There's foam in everything that, that you can think of. And what happened was there's, there's two main suppliers, both in, in Texas areas, petroleum suppliers. One of them had its annual, you know, like seven years shut down and clean the pipes. And the other one got damaged in those big freezes that happened out that way. So the world, so one of the materials that goes in foam was, was cut to a half. So all of these retailers had to go on rationing. All these factories went on rationing, right? And so everyone's trying to find a way to get foam here and there to get them into their sofas. That's created a backlog. And the backlog these days is like 25 to 30 weeks, which is frankly what I set out to disrupt, right? So now we've got this 
huge backlog. You're going to wait 30 weeks to get a sofa? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like things 30 weeks from now. Right? Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> you know, I've made, a, I've made a change by then. And then it's going to arrive and be like, ah, oh, red is no longer cool. I want green, you know? Yeah. So, so it, you know, glue was a problem. You know, we all hear about, oh, lumber, you know? Okay, fine. That's, that's a cost. But when you can't get the material, forget pricing. If you can't get the material, that becomes a real struggle. And and so then on top of COVID, where everyone's sitting in their living room and they're all trying to, you know, upgrade this janky thing that they've been sitting on for 20 years, you know, like, like wow. So, so, you know, and here we are, we're online and we're marketing to you and we're marketing to your demographic in your neighborhood at, at your kind of economic scale and all that. So we're, we've got this fine funnel that's, that's, you know, looking at you and, and trying to decide you know, and, and get you to click. And so we've seen a huge um, growth um, during. Now, things are dipping, right? But, but people are moving, right? Every time you move, you know, you think, you know, at least in our, at our price point, right? You think, oh, I'm going to buy this sectional. It's going to be extra long on the right, shorter on the left. And then I'm going to move. Well, it's opposite when you move or <laughs> doesn't even fit in the room or so on. So, so you see that the home sales number is directly calculated into sofa sales. So when home sales are up, sofa sales are up. And yeah, that makes we're sense. still seeing people move, but it is dropping just a bit. It is starting to slow. Are your price point, right? You have time on your side. How price sensitive is your customer? And, and let, me, let me frame it up for you a little bit. If you were to just, boom, raise your prices 15%, but say, I'm the only guy who has foam. I can get you that sofa in yeah. three weeks. Would they pay it? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And we've, we've, we've tried that, frankly, okay. right? We've, we've, we've done that. We, we are actually at five weeks, right? And for us, that is an incredibly long time. You know, when the, the industry is, you know, 20 to 30 weeks and we're at five, um, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big thing. Price does play a role, right? Even in, even in, in our category where we're really a luxury sofa brand, right? And, and, you know, our customers aren't, you know, just dripping in money, but they have money, right? And so, um, and so they are looking at the price. And so we've tried that, you know, when we raise things way up, you know, it, this, I think about um, the CEO of, of the company that acquired us, you know, he talks a lot about this, like, are people not going to buy, but they, they buy, but there's more hesitancy. Right. And so we think, you know, in just looking, you know, we don't have a whole lot of data to support this. We haven't frankly just spent the time putting that data together, but it seems that um, when we're more expensive, the buying cycle becomes longer. And, you know, and, I, and I'll lose, the problem is I'll lose a, a customer to another online competitor that can reach you. Now, if you're a brick and mortar guy, right, and you're in the store and you're seeing these sofas and you're like, okay, that's a $6,000 sofa, you're, you're, there's a good chance you're not actually going to see another sofa, right? But when you're online, you know, it's a $6,000 sofa, but you've got every one of my competitors also 
funneling at you and marketing at you. So price becomes a little bit more important when you're serving up an ad to these customers or potential customers, you know, given a certain price point. Yeah. There's the customer acquisition costs and then customer acquisition costs rise to continue to try to, to win that battle. Yes. to fight that. And it's, you know, I mean, you'll, I can see the smile on your (laughs) face. You know, the, when those costs go up, when those digital marketing costs go up, um, I would think that that pushes back into um, into the brick and mortar, hundred um, percent, because it gets harder and harder for us to compete. So we're going off on tangents, but I'm, I'm you know thinking about some of the conversations we've had over you know the last twelve months offline. <clears throat> One of the things that I, I found interesting, we spent some time on returns, and you mentioned the swatch that you send people. So can, can you go over the swatch and can you go over, you know, how you've gotten someone over the hump to buy a $6,000 sofa that they don't sit on first online? Yeah. Yeah. Believe me, it's a big hump. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just a funny little thing. So we, we have these swatches on our site, you know, and if, if you haven't, haven't ordered them, you should, you know, they're, they're pretty cool. It's a box of swatches. There's, um, if you hit the all button, it's like a hundred, 110, something like that. They're a little like four inch by four inch. I'm going to order them today and I will send it to you and let you know, show you. I did. Do yeah. Order it because they're sweet. And, and it's something, you know, we do two things that I can talk about in the same vein. So we send you these hundred swatches, right? My whole thing is get them to the customer as quickly as possible. Get them in their hands immediately. Be the first one and the best one in the door, right? Win the customer the old-fashioned way with a, you know, with something, a tactile thing that they can feel. So I send you these swatches. You get this giant box. I almost wreck your life even more because now you're like, holy moly, what should I pick? You know, I've got these five blues. What blue should I pick, right? What leather should I pick? And so on. Um, but, but when you get these things, you know, we, our customers pour wine on them and chocolate and pizza and all this stuff to try to see if they clean well and and all that. It's really a fun experience, right? It's part of what we try to do. We try to make the furniture buying experience fun. It shouldn't suck, right? That's our whole thing. And so, you know, that's, that's step one, right? And a little funny thing is, you know, how do I get them over the hump? I mean, when I put swatches on the top of my site, you know, in the header bar, you know, maybe I get, you know, a 20% conversion rate. When I put the word free in front of swatches, free swatches on the header bar, now I get like a 35% conversion <laughs> rate, right? It's, it's crazy. They were always free, right? So, so once you get these swatches, then you can go to one of our, of our uh, product pages and you can, you can hit a print button or actually I believe it's a printout button at the top. We moved it to the top of the page now, but, but we'll send you a full sectional printed out on a piece of paper to scale for you to lay out on the floor to see if it fits the room and, or if your family fits in it, if you can lay down in between the arms, all of that, we send that to you as well. So you can get a, an idea of a fit and feel. Now, that is one of the tricks that we use to make you comfortable with buying this thing sight unseen, right? And then there's a 100-day return policy, you know, and then, you know, and, and all those things that kind of go into it, the reviews, you know, you read some of the reviews, like, I had to return this sofa, like, 
Was it easy? Yeah, it's easy. You know, now not to say that that I don't um, I don't hate a return, right? Returns are are hard, but you know, sometimes the product isn't for everyone. So that's really good insights. Some clever things that you do that I've always thought were interesting. <clears throat> I think we end, a way to like end this. Tell us about you. You mentioned competition a lot, right? Because the furniture business, regardless if it's online or brick and mortar, this this is fierce. this is not for the faint of heart, right? This is tough no, stuff, fierce. right? It's yeah. really tough stuff. So, so in your world, who's like the who's the competition? Is it the brands we've talked about? Like, because I don't think you're like fighting with Target and Ashley Furniture. Maybe you are. I don't know, but no, no. No, I, I mean, look, our, our main competitors are the luxury brick-and-mortar brands. You know, and, and may, you may, that's an RH, that's a DWR, um, and maybe a crate, right, on the, on the true brick-and-mortar side. Um, you know, and then we've got some, some online competitors as well. Um, there isn't a whole lot of guys in this more luxury space online, um, so we seem to be that player um, in the luxury space or at the higher end, I should say. Um, and that, that's why I would say the more of like an RH and DWR are really more of our, of our competition um, that way. But, but you're not kidding, man. It is, it is a fierce business. You know, there, there is a reason why the furniture side, the upholstery side for that matter, you know, is the, um, is the big leader in each of those big um, brick and mortar retailers. You know, that's what's driving the dollars um, in those stores when you look at it as a category basis. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a massive, massive thing. And, you know, you're moving massive pieces across the country and trucks and into people's homes. And, you know, we are really disrupting that world in a lot of ways and I, and I think that I think we're also learning something from the traditional brick and mortar retailers as well. You know, we need to get this furniture into people's homes. How do we do that? Does it make more sense to have regional people? You know, you know, RH has their own team of people delivering it directly in the door, making things a lot easier. And, and we're still, you know, getting. have you there. thought about designers like like I can my wife can call and say, like, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And yeah. Yeah, we um, that that is something in our playbook um, as well. Um, the you know RH does a great job of that. Yeah, they really they do that job. whole member thing. It's it's impressive, and, and Gary's built a you know a fleet of of people. Um, you know, he was one of the first to have that in the store. You know, you could just walk up, and then you know, and then people like Pottery Barns and whatnot. You know, also had design centers in their in their. Um, in their stores. I think online, it is a, you know, our staff of, of, um, you know, our frontline staff, um, are all qualified to help make decisions and they do. And we spend a lot of time on the phones, um, with them. And I think that's what makes us pretty special. Um, and a lot of our great reviews are about that process, you know, so-and-so just, you know, made it so easy and so on. Um, but we don't really advertise that, um, but it's definitely on our list of, of things to do. But I think at first call, I think your wife will feel, you know, plenty comfortable, you know, and when we're asking questions and then she's, you know, we're kind of trying to help, 
you know, um, help get her to the right spot. When you're buying something online, right, this is, a, this is kind of an interesting thing. The first thing I want to ask you is, what are you coming out of, right? I want to know, especially, I mean, it's a little bit stereotypical, so forgive me, but, but it's, you know, the wife that is typically um, trying to create a new modern space, and the husband who is, you know, likes the old, comfy, you know, whatever he's been sitting on forever, right? And right now, what's hip and cool is lower backs, modernism, you know, a smaller footprint of a product, right? So, so I don't want to return because I'm selling you a sofa and the husband's like, that ain't a sofa, you know, that's a, you know, a chair, you know, or something like that. And the wife is like, well, but it's cool. It's new. It's hip, you know? So, right. so my first question to you is, well, what are you coming out of? Right. I want to know like what giant sofa are you actually coming out of so that I can place you or guide you to a sofa that might be a little bit more of a familiar fit that I'm pushing the boundaries a little bit, you know, and my team is, is capable of doing that. And, and that's what we do on a day-to-day basis. Excellent. Edgar, where can people find you? You can check us out at benchmademodern.com and uh, we're there and, and uh, at war you can call or, or uh, find us, you know, all over the place, Insta and Twitter and, and all that. Amazing. Edgar, this was terrific. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, sharing some insights and, and uh, debating with me a little bit. This was a lot of fun. And when you end up deciding you're, you're ready to pull the trigger on a store, let's make sure we touch base. You'll be my first call. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs>